One of the most important parts of naming your new business is finding an available website name that works. Today's episode is brought to you by .ca. Join thousands of Canadian entrepreneurs who have chosen a .ca domain name for their business. Choose your .ca domain name at cira.ca forward slash startup today. Entrepreneurship doesn't have to be tough when it's cooked right. Co-founder of Relish Gourmet Burgers serves up well-done recipes for startup success. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Season 2 of the Startup Canada Podcast Show. I'm your host, Rivers Corbett. The Startup Canada Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the rallying network uniting Canada's entrepreneurship community. And on this podcast, we connect you, the idea person, the startup founder, the creative thinker with the movers and shakers of Canadian entrepreneurship. Here on the show is where we fill you in on trends and opportunities and possibilities for your next step as an entrepreneur and where we have conversations about advancing entrepreneurial growth and success in Canada. Today's episode is brought to you by Intuit QuickBooks, your partner in building a financially fit and fundable business. Get 50% off, that's right, 50% off QuickBooks online today by visiting intuit.com quickbooks.ca forward slash start right. Do any of our new listeners remember to subscribe to the Startup Canada podcast in the iTunes store, then visit startupcan.ca to join the network to connect to support, mentors, training, funding, space, and to your local startup community. Well, look, we're just so thrilled to have as our guest today, Tracy Scarlett. She's the CEO of Alberta Women Entrepreneurs. And today we are chatting about starting up, scaling, and taking women entrepreneurship to new heights. Tracy is one of Canada's leading catalyst advocates and experts in women's entrepreneurship and growth. And for over two decades, Tracy has been mentoring, advising, and fostering the growth of businesses run by female entrepreneurs in Canada. Tracy also lends her time to NSERC as a member of their council, volunteers with Tech Venture Prize and the University of Alberta School of Business MBA program. And she is a judge for the National RBC Women Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Tracy, great to have you on the show. Thanks, Rivers. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Well, look, let's get Talking about you first, tell, can you tell us about, you know, your your entrepreneurial and your intrapreneurial journey and kind of where, where, does, uh, where does your focus lie today? Sure. Well, going way back, I grew up on a family farm and I think that's where a lot of uh, entrepreneurs are, are started um, and a uh, family business. So mm. definitely entrepreneurship has been in my history forever. Um, but uh, I guess it was probably more uh, once I got into the, the work world, uh, working with scientist entrepreneurs in the biotech industry. Um, I, I worked in a lot of small startups uh, during that time doing regulatory affairs and quality approvals for medical products. And um, just really uh, got got interested in in how businesses structure and uh, and commercialize technologies. Uh, did my MBA in technology commercialization, and then uh, just continued down the path of working with scientist entrepreneurs. Uh, in the meantime there, uh, my ex-husband and I started up a constru- construction company that we ran for about five years. 
and uh, grew to a couple million dollars of revenue. So lived it firsthand as an entrepreneur mm. and then uh, came into running Alberta Women Entrepreneurs nine years ago. Um, so uh, definitely been around entrepreneurs my entire working uh, career. Wow, that's a quick, uh, quick journey for kind uh, of quick conversation on a very, uh, I mean, I'm sure adventurous journey that you've been through uh, during that time period. Yeah, and it's interesting because all of those experiences, they sound very different, but uh, the foundational piece of, of the entrepreneurial journey is actually very, very similar regardless of industry. Well, it really is. And, and uh, you, know, I, you and I both know that we're talking, you know, the whole entrepreneurial w- word is much more used back then. I bet you nobody ever called your family entrepreneurs back in the farm days. No, definitely not. We were farmers. <laughs> That's funny. Eh? It's just funny. Yeah. Well, what drives you and uh, gives you your focus to work with uh, supporting the success of of, uh, of women entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's interesting. When I was uh, doing my MBA, um, I I did a, a project for one of my professors. It was a literature review looking at um, access to capital for different groups of entrepreneurial ventures, and um, uh, it was looking. It was a, a report for Industry Canada, and and looking at um, groups, women such as women, Indigenous people, uh, new Canadians, young people, and really just doing a landscape scan of of what programs and supports were out there because participation rates of all of those groups in entrepreneurial activity was, um, you know, wasn't keeping up, I guess, with um, where the government was thinking it should be. So, uh, so it really just planted some seeds. I found out about uh, Alberta Women Entrepreneurs through some of that research and uh, joined the board as a volunteer initially. And then over time, um, just really became passionate about um, seeing how could we close the gaps of participation and achievement uh, in some of those categories of, of entrepreneurs that are underrepresented in, in terms of uh, their participation. Yeah, very interesting. And have you seen that gap uh, narrowing from uh, when you first started? What, what has changed and I guess what hasn't if it's not happening? Yeah, it definitely has changed. Um, so Canada is actually ranked uh, tied with Australia uh, as second place with uh, women's participation in entrepreneurship uh, cool. internationally. So the U.S. is first. And then specifically in Alberta, where I live, um, we see that uh, Alberta is actually leading almost every jurisdiction. Uh, for every five male-owned businesses that are started, there's four female-owned businesses that are started. So we see some regional uh, uh, differences across Canada, but I really think that the supportive environment of programs like what we can provide in Alberta are uh, fundamental in achieving that kind of uh, uh, performance of, of participation. Mm, yeah, I I, um, I read this morning an article about single women and that they are one of the the, the fastest growing sectors of entrepreneurs coming into uh, in, into being born and and growing. Are you seeing that in your uh, your experiences too? Yeah, there's um, uh, there's sort of two trends that we see. One is the mid career educated professional. Um, that is probably eighty to ninety percent of the people that come through any of our programs. They've mm-hmm. got a they've got a work history. They've got a network, and they're now perhaps at a life change, perhaps having a family, um, perhaps uh, looking at what the next stage of their career looks like, and really having the confidence to go out and start a business. Um, and what we see in the 
in the younger population, the sort of next gen group, um, is they're coming out of university with the desire to open a business. So mm. there's sort of the two uh, populations that are emerging, and um, we've historically seen the mid mid career educated professional woman as being the predominant trend. But I think this younger population that's that doesn't want to go and work in a corporation. Um, they don't want to work for someone else. They want to build their own future. So those are the two trends that I think are really, really interesting. And are, is it because they don't want to or because the economic situation is uh, kind of guiding them more so down that direction and then they're realizing, oh my gosh, I can have my cake and eat it too? I don't see it out of necessity so much. I mean, there's a lot of changes that are happening in the economy just in this last year that are... Um, uh, people are leaving, being laid off, for example, from large corporations, especially in you know areas like Calgary, um, and they might have a severance package, and that gives them a bit of a, a nest egg to um, to and a cushion to take the leap into entrepreneurial activity. But we don't see a lot of um, necessity entrepreneurs. Um, we see people that are seeing an opportunity in the market and they want to build something. So they want to solve a problem with something new and innovative, or they um, see a market opportunity that uh, they can fill. Yeah, that's so wonderful to see. It really is. Um, you know, you talk about sectors that are happening. I was talking to uh, the gentleman that runs Manitoba Mucklucks the other day, and he was talking about the the fastest or the biggest growing sector, I guess, for young entrepreneurs is actually uh, in at, in the Aboriginal community. So it's so cool to see see uh, these niches coming out, and we're embracing them collectively from uh, across the country. But from a diversity perspective, that seems to be you know. We're Working here, and you just said the stats with Australia and so on. How how do you see the uh, the focus, the position of women in the economy growing, evolving globally uh, in entrepreneurship? We can specifically keep focusing on that. And what does that mean for Canada? Yeah, so we talk about diversification of our economy and uh, the need to uh, become more productive. Those are themes that have have been throughout the entire working career that I've had. Um, and a key to, or critical piece of that is is diversity of participation. So you mentioned Indigenous entrepreneurship, um, New Canadian entrepreneurship, women entrepreneurship. These are all really important factors to be able to feed into creating companies that have a different viewpoint. Um, so we see this a lot in the number. Of, we see about two to three thousand women a year through one of our programs, and uh, during the course of that, we see trends like um, having more of a focus on something with a social output, um, mm -hmm. or uh, we see that many women-owned businesses have uh, high participation of women in their leadership teams. Um, they often have um, higher participation of employment uh, from other uh, underrepresented groups in the general uh, mainstream so it's really interesting that um, social purpose becomes a very, very important um, outcome of uh, businesses that are run by diverse populations. And I think that that is, is a key to diversifying the economy because you need those diverse voices around the, the table that, that view a problem differently and come up with different ways of solving it. Yeah, that's really, uh, really interesting. And, and one of those problems uh, that we all face as entrepreneurs, and I, wouldn't, I don't even know if problems where it's a challenge, obviously, is this whole area of funding. And my question to you, do you see a lot of women uh, investing in other women in their businesses? Yeah, you know, one of the um, interesting parts of our program that 
we're very fortunate that the government of Canada gave us money when we started up 20 years ago um, to invest in a um, loan program. So we've in Alberta and well, so our program is across Western Canada. So in BC, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, Um, collectively across all of those four provinces, we've lent over $75,000 or $75 million, sorry, um, to women owned businesses. And um, it's really created a, um, a depth of experience in what the what the borrowing uh, needs are of women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And in Alberta, uh, we've lent around, uh, it's over $20 million that we've lent out specifically. So we've turned our $5 million loan fund about four times um, and you know created, I think at last count, it's like 20,000 jobs from that money. Um, but there's, uh, there's a lot of experience that we're seeing from that. Like, so women in many cases are running things like service businesses um, that if you need growth capital, it's difficult to find. And they're not um, uh, high growth enough to be able to attract the um, more expensive capital that's, uh, you know, through equity financing. Um, so there's a there's a gap in in matching money to different kinds of businesses. And I think that when we were more of an industrial economy where there's asset-based lending, that's still what the banking uh relates to. So, you're you're lending against assets and securing against assets. Uh, in service businesses, knowledge economy businesses, um, the trend is um, that, you know, you, you either have to buy your building so that you've got some assets to, te- to lend against, um, or you are going to have to tr- really be creative in where you're finding your, your growth capital. Mm. So, we see that growth capital area as a, as a massive opportunity and not a lot of experience, um, even amongst the equity and investor uh, groups on how to address it. Um, so the types of companies that we're seeing are very much on service base, getting great experience and great customer base, and then innovating using technology and evolving their business into something that actually does become a really high growth scalable model. Mm. I've, I've got this this question in front of me, Tracy, and as I'm reading it, reading it I'm thinking, how is that even possible? And it has to do with men investing in in Canada's women-run startups. I mean, the stats show that the odds of success for a women-run startup business are significantly better than a guy-run startup. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't think I'm that stupid. <laughs> Go where the success is. But yeah. do you see that that is that actually happening? Um, well, it's uh, there, there are definitely so women-owned businesses on average are half the size of male-owned businesses, mm-hmm. and they access about twenty-five percent of the capital. So the gap is more in I would say women understanding how to leverage capital to grow their business, mm-hmm. or having the um, the foundational pieces that they want to um, uh, build out that business strategy and take on risk capital. I can't tell you how many women are so proud of the fact that they have never borrowed money for their business and they've self-financed. Nice. But, but they also haven't achieved their full potential uh, then. And mm. so there's like the trade-off that um, women-owned businesses as a result probably do have that profile of, of having a lower risk profile, therefore mm. higher success. Mm. But underachievement in terms of performance. So um, so it's a bit of a trade-off. And I think that what we really need to do is build the foundational piece so that we have strong understanding about how do you leverage capital to grow your business? How do you invest in the right uh, uh, activators of that growth? And right. and um, and I do think the investment will come uh, 
to match with that. But a, there's still a really general perception in most of the um, equity financing or any of the risk capital um, programs. I'm not talking about debt or bank financing, but there's a perception that women women are running these cottage industry businesses that don't have growth potential. And I think that that's the fallacy that we really have to work hard to um, overcome and build networks of demonstrating this is a great pipeline of women entrepreneurs that could be invested in. Is it is it just a matter? I mean, the successes are there from a uh, running their businesses, uh, whether they're cottage industry or high growth. Is it just a matter of quote unquote getting the word out more? Yeah, and I think we need more success stories that are um, high profile. You know, when you look at mainstream media, um, a successful business person is often, um, uh, it looks a certain way. Mm. <laughs> and um, so, we have to make sure that it's not just women's lists um, that include those those women. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be, um, you know, the high growth companies across the board that right. um, that seek out because women many times won't submit for those kinds of nominations. Um, they'll they want to be a little bit more private about their business. They, they, there's there's a lot of generalities I'm giving here, but. Yeah. E- so we don't end up with um, a lot of great examples that could be profiled um, and and that people would know. So if you were to ask the general population, who do you know um, who's a successful woman entrepreneur? Um, you know, I think there's some shows like Dragon's Den that have, have done amazing things at, at building the profile that it's possible and there are success stories. But I would say most people don't know beyond that kind of a profile in their network, um, women that are running 20 or 50 or $100 million a year companies. So you've got the audience nationally now to help you begin this journey of uh, telling those stories. How can they uh, How can they begin to help you do the things that uh, that you need to do? And of course, women entrepreneurs, uh, you know, that, that journey of getting the story out. How can, how can we help? I think that um, something like this call, uh, this podcast that we're doing is mm-hmm. a, is a great way to um, start to uh, bring it to more of a mainstream audience. Uh, the entrepreneurship programs like the one that I'm involved in running are, um, you know, when I look at yesterday, we hosted an event with about 300 people and we were honoring um, 76 nominations for our Celebration of Achievement Awards program. Um, the profile of the audience that comes to that because it says in the title of the organization Alberta Women Entrepreneurs I there was a half a dozen men or so that came and uh, to the daytime event and a couple of them came to me after and said I didn't realize that uh, I uh, that men are invited um, so there's sort of that bias Interesting. Too. Yep. yeah yeah and then and then when we got to the evening event a lot of people had their um, their spouses and business networks there so it was a much more diverse um, mix of, of participation but I I think it's just really interesting um, you know that that's 76 women that we we profiled last night and honored um, they represented $250 million of annual revenue in yeah. the province of Alberta. So, like, those are the kinds of things that we have to get the stories out on. Right. And, uh, you know, there's a woman last year that ran, uh, that won our uh, Celebration Legacy Award. And uh, she she's a First Nations woman from Fort Mackay, Northern Alberta. And um, she runs a heavy equipment construction company that she founded with her husband. And um, she, she employs 800 people, many of whom or indigenous people. So those are the stories. Uh, you know, it's like, it, it's like a $200 million a year revenue company. So like there's, there's great stories like that that are out there and we aren't maybe looking for them as hard as we should. 
Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I want to know a little bit about a couple of those exciting stories. I mean, you just referenced uh, one of the ladies, uh, the Aboriginal lady. What are some some cool companies that are women owned and women run that you you say, man, when I sit back uh, having my wine glass, I say that's cool stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh man, there's so many cool Good. stories. Yeah. Um, we've got um, we've got a few right now that are just on the edge of exploding and. Um, um, and we we actually showcased some of them in our program yesterday. Um, but I, you know, there's there's a woman that we have in our network, um, Robin Henderson. Uh, Kids Uncomplicated is her company. Um, she's developed uh, a, a mechanism to deliver health services to high needs families. She works with autistic kids, so she's had a service business for the last ten years, um, delivering services uh, in remote communities and um, and across Alberta. And she realized that there was a better way to do it. So she developed some technology so that she could do uh, remote delivery um, and bring uh, consolidated professionals together uh, from different different professional areas of expertise. Um, and she can achieve incredibly improved outcomes with those kids and mm-hmm. those families. So, um, so really cool social impact, but then also um, she's now just uh, landed a contract uh, to do a pilot project in the state of Ohio that will enable her to test out this technology in, uh, in a broader context. And, you know, she's looking to license it um, internationally. Um, so lots of really amazing stuff that is just right on the cusp of, of exploding and uh, becoming transformational technology-based business. Very cool. You know, I always say that uh, when I get interviewed, uh, we get asked the question, you know, what what can we do to help this journey of entrepreneurship? And then I say, just tell the freaking story. Just talk yeah. about it more. Talk yeah. about it more, you know. And the more we talk about it, the more we're going to know about it, the more we're going to embrace it. So I, I I love, I mean, by the way, I can feel your smile when you started talking about the yeah. great success story. You really uh, you really are passionate about your, your cause. That's awesome. And it's not yeah. a cause. I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Yeah. It's a, it really is, a, you know, your focus for, for helping uh, women entrepreneurs. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't actually see it as um, as a job. You know, you, you they always say that, like, I have so much fun. I get to meet so many amazing people that are doing amazing things to change the world. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, there's, uh, I, I could talk for hours about examples and stories of people that have that have done just that. Very cool. Well, let's let's kind of let's kind of bring it down to young women, girls that um, uh, are, are are wanting to pursue this great journey of being an entrepreneur. And you know, how's the media playing in all of uh, all of that uh, area of, of, of messaging? Well, we know that young women are participating in um, higher education at. At significant rates, you know, some programs have 60-70% participation rate of, of young women. So, I don't think it's so much about um, uh, the education and um, and where where the young women are going. I think it's still, um, there's still biases that are that are built into what the journey of a young woman should look like. And so um, there's always factors of having a family and, um, and personal situation that, that come into play. So we're not seeing in, for example, science, technology, math, uh, engineering, we're not seeing in those STEM areas, we're not seeing 
young women stay in those professions. Um, mm. So there's there's definitely some some gaps there that um, if we can take that education and experience and create a pathway for entrepreneurship, then we can keep them in those professions. So those are the kinds of things that we're working on. How can we build better pathway of options? So for example, if, if the career pathway in the firm that you're in, engineering firm, let's say, um, isn't conducive to the uh, the life that you need when you have a young family, then is there ways to be involved as a as an entrepreneur in delivering services to that same company. So these are really, I think, they're not really new issues, but I think that because we've got this highly ambitious, highly educated young women population that's coming into the workforce, um, companies are going to be forced to look at this differently. Um, mm. They they were able to fill the positions um, with a certain profile up to this point, but given that the population of the education um Pipeline is changing. Um, I think that that is really forcing large companies to look at their, um, and we see that emerging, for example, in all, in the accounting profession, the legal profession. So the, the STEM stuff, I think, is still a little bit um, behind in terms of um, adopting different kinds of policies around inclusion yes. and around ma- maintaining inclusion. So, so anyway, so it's more, that's more around career, but I think that entrepreneurship path is where we see that um, women will go. Um, like in Alberta, we've got one of the largest wage gaps, for example, um, in, in Canada. Is that right? Yeah. And, um, but in entrepreneurial activity, and I think this is a, one of the factors, I don't have the data to prove it, but just one of the observations anecdotally that I would have is that women go to an entrepreneurial, um, they set up their own company because, um, then they get paid market rate. So, (laughs) so entrepreneurship is a solution to the wage gap, in my opinion. Isn't that great? Yeah, I love it. You know, the other thing I have, uh, I have a 20 year old, 21 year old daughter and a 17 year old daughter. And what I really love about these two individuals is their confidence in who they are and, uh, and therefore subsequently the careers they want to want to choose. And I see, I see more and more young women having that, that, that moxie, our friend Marissa, you know, uh, going forward and, uh, and the strength to be able to do that. So I I think, that there's significant uh, hurdles that have been overcome and for all the right reasons. And uh, I think, uh, yes, we've got a ways to go, but man, we've come a long way. That's for sure. Oh, we sure have. And those young, young women are fearless. Like I, Mm. I love the energy that I see uh, that's coming from them. Um, And we hire a lot of co-op students and, and young people that are um, working through their degree. And it's a very, inspirational group to work with. Do you think, uh, do you think that employing affirmative action to ensure that, for example, in accelerators and incubators that, uh, that 50% of the tenants are women are, uh, is the right way to go? Because as our prime minister says, it's, uh, uh, <laughs> it's 2015. Yeah, we see um, like we've got an accelerator program that we've developed here in Alberta that we're expanding across uh, BC, Saskatchewan and Manitoba over the next 12 months. And it's a it's not a residency accelerator. It's a it's a leadership capacity building um, peer supported business skills development group. And um, so it's about an eight to 10 month program that uh, women come together in cohorts to uh, work through this program. We've seen um, 30% annual growth in the um, outcomes. Uh, so 
pre and post uh, participation in the program. And these are companies that are coming in at about a million to $2 million of annual revenue. Um, so they're already, you know, well past startup, but now looking to scale. And that is considered high growth in any sector. Uh, well, in, in the high tech sector, let's say. So the fact that we've got it from service companies that are being viewed as low growth tells me about the potential for women to really drive forward in this way. And so when I look at the accelerators and the incubators and the innovation system, because I came from the biotech industry, I worked in that industry for 15 years, I I didn't see participation of women in any of those programs. And yet I'm seeing them emerge in my programs that are cohorts of women. Mm. So I think that it's the... Um, it's it's really about creating pathway and network and for people to see role models of people that they can emulate. And if that isn't existing in the current ecosystem, then we have to create it. But I don't think it's created through quotas. I think it's created through partnerships with organizations like mine that know how to reach the women. Um, so, for example... Um, if you're going to host a networking event, don't host it at 7 a.m. because women have to get their kids to daycare. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to host a networking event, like our evening event we did last night, we started it at 4.30. So come right after the office, come and do the, the celebration and you're home by 6.30. So there's lots of things that even are just simple like that, that if you don't understand um, sort of what the life is of a typical woman entrepreneur, you're not going to reach them if you're doing something that um, is always scheduled at a time that's inconvenient for them to be there. So really, really simple stuff. So one of my one of my favorite books uh, is the the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and <laughs> it really I mean there's I'm looking from a guy perspective and that's me I totally get yep, it and yep. uh, you know there are there are differences there are different nuances as you say and I think it's great that we're recognizing that and so uh, as part of this is is kind of advising the guys okay you got to know that if you want to embrace uh, the great stuff that's happening in women entrepreneurship or women who are thinking entrepreneurial in your organization. These are a couple of, of the tips for success from Tracy. What are yeah. besides the, the time <laughs> periods, but yeah. so important, but yeah. uh, what are some other ones that, uh, that you would uh, su suggest that uh, need to be a part of understanding? Yeah. Well, I think it's like anything. If I was going to run our accelerator program uh, that we're doing in uh, a, a male-focused audience, um, I wouldn't be doing it in um, in the same way. Like our opening retreat, for example, we do um, we do a lot of sort of sharing circles, um, and we always have you know some wine, and there's like lots of. Um, personal relationship building mm -hmm, that happens mm -hmm, through that mm -hmm. men would do that in a different way you know you take them to the golf course instead right um, or the hockey rink so it's like there's a there's a different way of socializing that is um is where women will come together in a safe environment to start um really opening up about what their real challenges are in their business and i would say that women in general um are real really well prepared um they are educated and they, they have great ideas and they want to build businesses. Um, and a lot of times it's that external validation that um, I'm not the only one in the world that's doing this. And I'm not the only one in the world that's trying to do this while I've still got, you know, X, Y, and Z, including, uh, you know, children and, and husband to look after. 
and not look after, but be part of that whole whole journey. So, um, some of the most successful women entrepreneurs I've seen have raised, you know, three, four kids while they've been building their business. So, it's not like these things are mutually exclusive. It's that you have to create a place where um, it's worth the time for for the woman to take away from her family to then be part of this community because she's getting something so much more out of it. And and so it's really about, um, you know, we'll, we can ask the question though. I think that it's a really legitimate question of what is the percentage participation in current innovation ecosystem, for example, in Canada. Um, It's from my observation, anecdotally, it's like less than 10%. Mm. So, it's never going to get beyond 10%. And even uh, organizations like Entrepreneurs Organization in Canada, um, they recognize that they are lagging in their membership um, by comparison to other international jurisdictions that have more parity in their in their membership. In Alberta, the membership of women-owned uh, businesses in EO, which are you know the over two million dollar annual revenue companies, is something like um, less than five percent. Wow! So that doesn't fit with what I'm seeing about people that would potentially could be part of that network. Um, So, we have to create pathways. I think this is really the bottom line, that if you have a low participation rate, you have to recognize that um, you aren't being inclusive then Mm -hmm. because you aren't finding a way to um, build partnership or pathway for those women to gain access to the programs. It's the basics of relationship building. It's yeah. what it is. Yeah, that's I, right. Yeah, I always like to say uh, when it comes to business, it's all it is is just a dating game. That's all it is. But yeah. it's a dating game that's always in the honeymoon stage. You got to figure out what the other person wants and give them what they need, and they'll stay yeah. with you forever. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to touch on. Uh, we've been talking uh, a lot about uh, about uh, you know the whole journey of women entrepreneurship, but let's kind of dig down into. To, uh, if, if for, for women in on this audience who are looking to start up uh, or scale up, what advice do you have for these two groups of women specifically related to, to, to business, the hardcore business? Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, in terms of startup, so I'll separate it into startup and okay. scale up. Cool. Um, so startup is, yeah, be prepared. Understand what your market opportunity is. Um, understand what your financial projections look like. Do some really robust analysis um, before you go out the gate. And especially if you're investing a lot of money into starting a business. If you're going to start doing a business as a consultant, I tell a lot of women that those are great businesses to start with because you've already got the network. All you have to do is start selling some contracts and you can you can start the foundation of a business and you don't even have to quit your job to do that. So you can start to test market in a lot of cases without a lot of risk. But then when you truly nail down that this is the market opportunity that I want to go after, then go after it. Like, don't be timid and hesitate. Um, Go after it in a way that is probably going to push your comfort zone. But if you've done the analysis and the idea looks good and um, like, be fearless in that. And then I would say to the um, scale up group, that's the answer. Be fearless. Like you've done, you've already got the foundation of what you 
uh, have as a business. And usually these are cash flow positive companies that are doing well. And they could just stay where they're at and stay, you know, this is the Canadian issue that mm-hmm. we don't scale up our businesses because we build nice, nice lifestyle around uh, earning good revenue and um, employing some people. But, you know, we don't get past 10 or 20 employees because we don't want to take the risk. So, be fearless. Like if you see that you've got life-changing, world-class idea, technology, whatever it is, be fearless. And don't just look in Canada. Look internationally for uh, where those opportunities are because you might find that um, just going across the border, um, you know, you could make your business 10 times the size. I always, um, and, and I love that, I love that advice you're giving them because it's funny how moms in particular will, uh, give lots of interesting advice to themselves, which differs from what they would tell their children to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, sometimes that, um, that sort of self-awareness of like, um, just even really knowing what's motivating you, um, mm-hmm. is, is important. So, um, we do actually quite a bit of work around authentic leadership with um, our entrepreneurs that are in the scale-up phase. And it's often surprising what are the barriers that they're self-imposing and what the tape recorder in their brain is telling mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. that is um, holding them back from massive achievement. And so, they're, they're successful, but they could be incredibly successful. So, you said something a little earlier about being tied with Australia. With on the world rankings on uh, the advancement of women entrepreneurship, how do we get to number one? Well, I think that's my goal. You know, you asked earlier what drives me. Um, I think that Canada should be the best place in the world to be a woman entrepreneur. I think that would be a great goal for us to achieve, and um, we have to do it by taking examples of what works, whether it's in Canada or internationally, and building out ecosystem models that help us achieve that. So, we've been doing a lot of work in the access to capital space, looking at models internationally of um, how do people build the bundle of uh, growth capital with mentorship and accelerator programs, so male or female focused. And we've identified some really interesting uh, things that we're going to be trying to pilot here. And we have to invest in it. Um, We can't just think it's going to happen. And when I look at the investment that's been put in to programs to support women entrepreneurs across the country, it's pitiful. Um, We have had in Western Canada a reasonable amount of support from Western Economic Diversification and Atlantic Canada's had a reasonable amount of support from ACOA, but there's a big gap. We don't even have a women's enterprise centre in Ontario or Quebec. And uh, without having a consistent ecosystem where women anywhere can gain access to this network, it really creates a fragmented uh, ecosystem that nobody really knows that there's these fantastic programs out there. So, there's, um, and when we look at the funding models, um, organizations like mine um, have gotten $975,000 a year from the government to operate for the last 15 years. How do you, how do you grow and expand? And we've had to do it through a lot of fee-for-service and private sector. So, we've had to become very, very entrepreneurial in how we leverage our money. But when I look at the investment that go, goes into entrepreneurship support across Canada, it doesn't even it doesn't even come close when you look at the percentage of investment that's going into women's entrepreneurship. Is that something that Startup Canada can uh, take on as part of its uh, of, of its strategic initiatives? I think that would be a great organization to um, assist with this. 
And it's because uh, it is so fragmented uh, across the country in terms of the, the types of organizations that are out there that, and we're all uh, so underfunded that we are really just head down doing our work, trying to do the best we can. Mm. And so um, opportunity for education, advocacy, all of that. Um, yeah, it's it's going to have to be done um, by groups that that can get the the bandwidth to do it. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I'm um, I for one am proud of all the great work you're doing and uh, all the wonderful uh, businesses that uh, that uh, that women entrepreneurs are doing. I, I talked the other day with uh, Janice McDonald, who is just an amazing entrepreneur based out of Ottawa, and you know, just to hear her story was just absolutely phenomenal. And um, and I know there's more and more stories out there, and it's and it's about we can do it together. It isn't male female. It's it's just yeah. how can we all help each other? So, yeah. So Tracy, you've got the last word, my friend, on the podcast. What uh, what words of advice, encouragement, uh, caution, whatever you want to call it, do you want to leave with us uh, today? Well, investment in um, diversity in entrepreneurship and it's women as part of that um, is the key to Canada's future economic success. Um, if we invest in it we will achieve the benefits of a diverse economy and the longevity that that creates. Very cool. Well, look, this has been Tracy Scarlett. She's the CEO of Alberta Women Entrepreneurs, and you keep on happening, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. This has been fun. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today on the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly program dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every Canadian. Want access to even more amazing entrepreneur content? Well, then make sure you check out startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like the popular online training events, startup chats, and startup school. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash events for more details. And my name is Rivers Corbett. I'm your host. As always, I invite you to follow me on Twitter at Rivers Corbett. I do the same thing with conveying all kinds of cool ideas and uh, conversations with entrepreneurs around the planet to help you guys have super success. And also, I'm pleased to introduce my newest business venture, Coaching by Rockstars. That's www.coachingbyrockstars.com, where I am building an amazing team of business coaches to help entrepreneurs around the planet. If you've got an interest in that, come and check us out. Until next week, I'm Rivers Corbett, leaving you now with a sneak peek of next week's episode. You talk about the legacy, you talk about the importance of giving back. Can you dig a little deeper as to why in particular is it important for entrepreneurs from your perspective and the foundation's perspective to give back from day one? A couple of reasons. Um, One, if the, uh, and a few founders have said to us, well, hey, you know, when I strike it rich, of course I'm going to give back. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that's just, that's who I am. Of course I'm going to do it. And that's great. And we don't discourage them from doing that. But the problem with that is, is twofold. Uh, one, it's not motivating to their employees in their company. If they want this to be a part of company culture, they should make it part of the company day one and not just something that the founder does at the very end. Yeah, if you were here right now, you'd see my head nodding. Totally agree <laughs> with that point. Love it. Yes. Um, and the other thing is a founder, 
day one when it's just one person, maybe with one partner, they might both agree, yeah, this is what we want to do. We're definitely going to do it. And then the company grows and the company grows and it grows some more. And eventually there's lots of partners, lots of stakeholders. Um, The original founder may potentially not even be in an operating role at the very end. And the, the intent of what the founder wanted to do when they started the company, what they wanted the company to be about, gets lost because then you need shareholders to start approving a big donation at the end. It, it just, it's not going to happen. And so getting that as part of your cap table early on, putting that 1% in, which will get diluted over time, but 1% when the company is worth so little to ensure that it actually happens uh, has been proven to be an incredibly successful concept. 